Secular science fiction often explores darker themes such as gene editing and consciousness uploading. Christian-made sci-fi, however, tends to lean on the softer side, emphasizing worlds without Earth or its cultures. How might this leave an opening for more complex futuristic tales that dare to engage with controversial themes? Novelist Carrie Neitz, no stranger to bold sci-fi, joins us to discuss how edgier science fiction can challenge Christian readers. Welcome aboard the Starship Fantastical Truth. I am one of your two captains, E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of lorehaven.com. On Fantastical Truth, we find the best of Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and we apply the grandeur, the awesomeness of these stories to the real world, into which we are called on mission. And I'm Zachary Russell. You can call me Zach. I have been a sci-fi fan my whole life. And you'll probably notice right away, I, I sound a little sick today. This is the first time in over a year I've been sick. And thankfully, it's not the Rona, just a usual kind of thing. But uh, this is episode 61. How does edgier science fiction challenge Christian readers? And we have a special guest today, Harry Neitz. Uh, he is an award-winning science fiction author. has over half a dozen speculative novels in print. And his novel, A Star Curiously Singing, won the Reader's Favorite Gold Medal Award for Christian Science Fiction. It's notable for its dystopian and cyberpunk vibe. And uh, Carrie is most famous for a, a book that uh, started out as kind of a, a joke or a dare. It's called Amish Vampires in Space. It was mentioned on The Tonight Show, and uh, it's, it's got a really bright future along with two other books that followed up. So uh, we're going to have a really fun discussion today. Welcome, Carrie. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, guys. Carrie, we just had you to discuss another fandom, but now we get to delve a little bit more deeply into your repertoire of futuristic tales. So we'll be talking a lot about futuristic uh, aspects in this episode. And uh, Zach and listeners, the reason why we felt it was a great time to tackle this is because in just our last episode, episode 60, uh, Zach and I were exploring the topic of why our real life researchers don't seem to care for the warnings of science fiction that man was not meant to play God, that man was not meant to meddle. Uh, you're not supposed to go splicing together the uh, embryonic parts of humans and monkeys or any of that sort of nonsense. And Zach and I discovered in part of our research for that episode that really most of the examples that we could think of of those kinds of warnings are from secular science fiction, whether it's Star Trek or Doctor Who or all kinds of other uh, fiction novels, books, uh, movies, TV shows. It, it seems that all of the engagement with those edgier themes came from those stories. And uh, you know, it may not be our fault uh, that we just don't know about any uh, authors out there who are more specifically dealing with these kinds of themes in Christian-made science fiction, uh, but of course, the one that we just can't help but think of is uh, is Carrie Neitz. So uh, he tends to be writing about those kinds of things, uh, not so much warning about mad science, but uh, his stories uh, do tend to go uh, in some edgier directions. And we'll explain what we mean by edgier in just a moment. First, let's stop by the concession stand for a few just recently baked uh, funnel cakes, uh, maybe a little popcorn and maybe some uh, extra cheesy nachos. Uh, first concession of this topic opens up a few other topics like the definitions of science fiction, space opera versus harder sci-fi, uh, whether or not you have aliens, whether or not you have Earth somewhere in the past, that sort of thing. Uh, it even opens up a related topic of what male or female readers tend to prefer in their fantasy or science fiction. So obviously we will need to just touch on those topics, won't be able to go into those too in-depth this time. 
smack number two from the stand. Uh, yes, we emphasize a certain type of science fiction, what we would call a science fiction with edgier themes. Uh, but just to clarify, and hopefully long-term listeners of this podcast and subscribers at Lorehaven know about this, uh, we do enjoy all types of fantastical stories, whether they're soft or cozy fantasy, more complex fantasy, uh, space opera, science fiction, dystopian, steampunk, all of those, whether it's edgy or not, uh, if the story is well-made, it glorifies Jesus, especially if it's made by a Christian. We want to endorse all those kinds of stories across what we do. Uh, thirdly, uh, the by the word edgier, we don't mean edgy content like darkness, no parents, sex, violence, cussed words, angst, trauma, you know, killer robots necessarily, all that sort of thing. We're talking more about edgier ideas, you know, ideas that you would more likely hear about uh, on a podcast or in a news story about groundbreaking science, like scientists splice together human and monkey uh, DNA, that, that kind of thing. You know, something that makes you a bit uncomfortable, that makes you realize that science has some dangers. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And we'll go into that a little bit more as we discuss with Carrie. So Carrie, uh, what are some of the edgier themes that you dive into in your stories? Amish vampires in space, for instance. I thought it was a really interesting idea to see how a very non-violent, passive society interacted with when they're confronted with a society like in, of vampires, for instance, that, that aren't that way at all, obviously are very violent and self-driven. And, and I think the big theme for me too is, okay, how, you know, at what point do they, or do they ever fight against this threat? That's kind of worked out through the main characters and their different respective viewpoints and worldviews. You know, so that, that would be, I guess, more of an edgier theme, <laughs> you know, especially since the Amish genre usually doesn't go that way at all. It's usually very much more romance-centric. With the Dark Trench trilogy, I, I thought it'd be interesting to see what it would look like. You know, there are some some countries in the world that would like a, a worldwide Sharia law, worldwide Islamic um, domination. So, you know, works out to like 500 years in the future, the, the setting for it. And I just wanted to see kind of, what, okay, what did that look like? But also intersect it with the growth in technology and the idea that by then there might be implants in people's heads and that, that not only gave them access to the internet and sort of the future, futurized technologies like robots and whatnot, but also controlled their behavior in some ways, you know, and I think that's something we, we see worked out more and more these days, even on the internet, you know, we know that AIs are kind of controlling what we see and trying to feed toward our emotions in one way or the other. So, so this is kind of that extrapolated, you know, into a future 500 years from now, where it's a little different than what we see today, but also with a lot of similarities. So kind of exploring, yeah, those, those ideas. I, I, I'm driven by what if, you know, what if, this happened and kind of go from there. Yeah, that is exactly how I was introduced to Carrie Neitz's fiction uh, is uh, not not with Amish vampires in space, uh, but with the uh, the book one of the Dark Trench saga, which is called A Star Curiously Singing. And one of the aspects of that book that is so unique is it puts it right up front. This is a world uh, that is ruled by the caliphate. You know, this is a world ruled yeah. by a certain view of Sharia law. And which, you know, I don't believe, Carrie, that you ever say in the book, you know, the word Islam, but it is pretty, no. I mean, it's it's obviously not a, a derivative. It's not a fantasy yes. equivalent that uh, the book 
asks what if about a certain view of, of Islam and extrapolates that half a millennium in the future. This by itself, to me, set the book apart because a lot of science fiction made by Christians tends to be a little bit more generalized. And a lot of this is uh, other books and you know, other authors whom we love. Uh, but I would say that in general, I see that there's a, there's kind of a vision of the future uh, in which uh, Christianity is portrayed uh, as a lighter approach. Uh, this isn't the type of uh, future where you would have you know, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterians, uh, Buddhists in other religions, uh, or or Islam for that matter. You know, it's all kind of homogenized. Uh, yeah. And there are advantages to that, especially if you go in more of the softer sci-fi or space opera side of things. Uh, but there's also great possibility in stories such as yours that ask about specific groups, such as the Amish. That Those are our Amish, you know, in the future, hundreds of years, uh, with more or less the same beliefs and uh, a kind of a Christian-derived uh, pacifism philosophy as our Amish neighbors today. Uh, and the, the cover and title of Amish Vampires in Space and its two sequels, like, Readers need to understand those are the only funny parts, really. With the, you know, with, I mean, you've got a few little lampshaded moments in, in the in the stories themselves, but otherwise, these are very serious explorations, just like you said. And I find just wonderful opportunities there for us to engage in these kinds of real world ideas, the, this kind of edgier themes uh, that other stories are just not able to do because they have a different creative direction. So, Carrie, here's my question. You mentioned in the Dark Trench saga how there's these implants that give people access to the internet, but it also sort of gives the internet access to them, right? It kind of works yeah. both ways, and they, uh, you said it, it modifies their behavior, their thoughts, and so what kind of was the inspiration of that, and what? tell me more about that in your story world. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So that series kind of evolved from a, just a couple of different ideas that came together in my head. I had this sort of image once of, of this, this idea once of this um, coder of the future who, who was kind of part psychologist and was sitting in a room discussing with a robot, trying to determine what is wrong with this robot. Why is it functioning the way it is? You know, and I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting, you know, like a different way of, you know, he might be able to take it apart, but he can't get to all the answers that way. He has to talk with it. And I thought that was interesting. And then there was a show I saw once where they showed one of the Islamic countries where the king or prince or whatever, they, they were taking a tour of his, his, one of his houses. And in one room, there were three guys that were recording things that he might want to see off of every network you can imagine. So their whole day was spent recording video and cataloging it. And I thought, oh, that's that's really fascinating. You know, th these are my heroes of the future. They're guys who have to do that kind of, you know, technical work all the time. And, and I thought, okay, well, the, okay. So they're connected. They have like an implant because that just to me seemed like this kind of cool, cool way for them to be instantly connected and have their thought waves go you know, straight to what they're working on. But obviously that would almost make them a superhero, right? They now have control of everything. And they're like, okay, well, there has to be some kind of governing force to that. And and then I thought, oh, okay, this implant can actually shock them. It can and shock their brain, so to speak. And it has its own set of rules built in based on um, the theology, based on the worldview, and that will keep them kind of in check, keep them slaves, like a, like a horse with a bit in their mouth, you know, a very powerful animal, but but they have a you know, 
bit that can turn them. And I thought, okay, this this is pretty cool. And what would the struggles be between them and this this technological bit in in their brain? So so that's kind of where that came from. Well, I, I like that, Carrie. You know, I, I know from I, I didn't get to this part in your bio, but I I know you have a computer science background. You were in the software industry. You know, you, you're you're obviously a fan of technology. Yeah. And I, and I know you're not Amish. I mean, you're not Amish, right? So <laughs> no, you no. uh no, you don't approach this from like a um a Luddite perspective where, where you're just, uh, no. technology you're afraid, like you're, you're interested, but you, you seem to have a, not only a fascination, but, uh, a, almost a caution with it uh, of here's how things could go wrong in, in, in our quest to make them yeah. go right. Does that sound about right? Yes. Yes. And, and just how much of an, you know, iterative process it is and, and a creative process. And, you know, the main characters in dark trends are called debuggers, which, encoding lingo debugger is an actual tool you use to look inside a machine and figure out what's wrong so they they've kind of taken on that nickname they're obviously humans but they're debuggers they figure out what you know find the bugs and try to fix them in whatever it is they're working on so you know i thought that was kind of cool and in you're right I, I do have a kind of a strong technological background but i also grew grew up on a farm which is kind of a, kind of a weird dichotomy so I, I do have a bit of an attachment to that whole rural setting. And, and I live in Ohio, where actually the, the largest population of Amish in America live. Most people don't know that, but it's true. You know, so they're within a few hour drive of where I live. And so if I wanted to immerse myself in that, I could. So it's interesting, kind of a little weird, but I guess all of us geeks kind of are in some ways. So, <laughs> well, and, and from our uh, conversation offline earlier, you were talking about how there's a uh, cell phone tower or something on a grain elevator. Uh, in your area, yes. just what what a great mesh of kind of old country and yes. 21st century, right? Yeah, I get my internet via Wisp, which is a wireless internet service provider, and it it comes from a local town, maybe eight nine miles away, and and they bounce it off a green elevator that's closer to me, about a road over, and that's how I get my internet. So pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, which also may explain uh, some of the uh, some of the difference in the audio that uh, you, oh, podcast listener, may be hearing now. Carrie, I think we've talked about this before, but when I first saw the description for a star curiously singing, I unfortunately, I think, fell into a trap that maybe some readers would when they read the description, and, and especially in the late two thousands when it came out, and they go, "Oh, oh, this is going to be, uh, you know, this is going to be one of the, you know, some kind of." Uh, a, a hyper patriotic, you know, no more terrorism uh, type yeah. book. You know, this is about Christianity yeah. versus Islam. It's going to be a polemic that could not yeah. be further from the truth when you actually read the book and you are going into uh, the world uh, and the very head of Sandfly as he's discovering uh, this world into which uh, the creator a cubed is breaking back in and we got robot repairs you know we got a space elevator we got all kinds of awesomeness but it is technology yeah. uh, explored for the sake of humanity uh, you've got those ideas mixed up in there you know the worldview differences uh, handled very sensitively as well as the technology uh, you mentioned that you know sandfly has these stops in his head uh, that will uh, right. head off certain thoughts you know if he's starting to think in a particular direction uh, that the the imams believe is sinful, uh, then uh, he will receive a, a penalty for that. And then finding freedom and then responsibility once uh, well once something changes uh, with his relationship with technology, uh, that is a key theme of the Dark Trench saga going forward. So 
that's that's actually one thing that we run into when we're talking about sci-fi with these kinds of overt themes by Christian authors is it trips a stop in our own heads that we have kind of put there on our own. So we've kind of programmed in where we think, oh, this must be preachy. Uh, if you're dealing with science fiction with, uh, you know, a future of specific groups named like the Amish, like, well, this must be preachy, you know, overt equals preachy. And I'll just go on a limb and say, I disagree with that. I think that you don't need to hide all these different groups or labels or words uh, out of fear of being preachy. Uh, there are so many opportunities in acknowledging these groups and these worldview differences, and especially asking what if about these cultural developments in the future, we have so many opportunities to explore these and see how these open up challenges and ask further questions. Uh, you don't have to get to the end of the book and answer all those questions. A good story is right. going to leave plenty of those open and be part of the conversation, not trying to be a conversation ender. Right. I think, that, I mean, that's what science fiction is, right? It's, it, it should be a playground of ideas, right? It, it should be, a, okay, extrapolate how this idea, extrapolate it, multiply it. How would it end up? You know, how could it work out? And um, like, you know, with Amish vampires, that that started from, okay, how would the Amish get into space and become vampires? You know, it started with the title as the the seed. And, you know, a little thinking about it. And it's like, you know, I think I could figure out a way that that would happen. And, you know, I got like 30,000 words into it and told my publisher at the time about it. And he said, well, if you can, you can make that work, I'll, I'll publish it. So that was kind of the start, but it all came from mental exercise. You know, how, how could I make this happen? And what would happen if? So this is an exact uh, blend of both images and words. You know, Christian creators often say that they get these images in their heads and they think, oh, what, what if yeah. this happened with that image, you know, in this world? And also there was a castle and a dragon and then off we go into another fantasy adventure. Right. I think that more so a certain type of science fiction creator like yourself will ask not just about these images and these technologies, but also the ideas. There are some abstract worldview notions tied up in there along with the images. And to me, as I look back over the history yeah. of science fiction, and uh, you've actually written an article uh, in the very first Lorehaven print issue about the history and different types of science fiction, we will link to that in the show notes, an article called Finding Truth in Science Fiction. This seems to me to be a staple uh, in science fiction going back to the beginning. And I just want to ask our second big question here. Uh, how do your stories also compare and honor the legacy of those edgier themes explored in other sci-fi? There's plenty, of course, tied up in that label science fiction. Uh, you may think of, for example, Star Wars, which is more like a space fantasy or space opera uh, versus uh, a franchise like Star Trek, uh, which deals uh, a little bit more with traditional uh, science fiction ideas, you know, cloning, uh, the ethics of uh, planetary exploration, the prime directive, you know, lots of ethical questions. Obviously, our Earth in the future figures prominently into that universe. Uh, and Earth as well is uh, somewhere out there in the uh, the Amish vampires universe, uh, and it's certainly the prime setting uh, for the the Dark Trent saga, at least starting out. Those kind of thing explorations have been part of science fiction from the beginning. You know, Ray Bradbury, think, you know, back in the fifties was writing Fahrenheit four fifty one, a book that I think today is is relevant, if if not more so than it was back then. You know, it talks about. There are certain minority voices taking over the narrative for the whole world, or at least the country that, that the main character lived in, you know, and just the infusion of entertainment and how that just distracts the populace from 
other things they should be thinking about and worrying about and being concerned about, you know, like family and friends and maintaining of the knowledge. You know, I think you know, this is something that's been part of science fiction. I think it's important, you know, and I think it's certainly something Christians should be a part of because we have a lot to say, a lot of hope to bring too. Yeah, very much so. I mean, science fiction is the genre for all of us because science and technology affect everyone. And so, it, you know, right. th these are stories that Christians must be a part of, like that we, we need to be uh, not only discussing stories, but telling our own stories, reading stories, because, you know, so, so many of these, uh, so many of the ethical debates about science and technology are accelerating really fast. You know, Silicon Valley kind of has this motto of move fast and break things. Uh, and so they're, they're pushing the limits before of what we can do before, you know, wondering if we should do that. Yes. So Carrie, I want to know about some other sci-fi that has inspired you. Uh, have you been a fan of shows like the twilight zone, the outer limits, X-Files, black mirror, and any, anything from those shows come to mind? Yeah, definitely. You know, twilight zone. I, I watched that as a kid or, you know, different versions of it. And and the thing is, many of the writers there too were writers like Ray Bradbury and you know other other luminaries that that just write intriguing stories that ask questions, you know, big questions. I'm kind of a fan of the whole genre ever since sort of the beginning, since I was a little young one. So you name something, I've probably heard about it and probably have read it. It seems to me as I look over the landscape of of science fiction right now, especially if you narrow it to Christian creators. I don't see a lot of science fiction among Christians for sure uh, that is exploring these big issues Zach was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, the fact that our lives are increasingly ruled by algorithms, you know, uh, even worldview challenges yeah. like free speech and how Christians should engage with politics and all of those big questions. Those seem to be increasingly handled by exclusively nonfiction conversations on the websites, on the podcasts, in books and articles. Yes. We seem to limit ourselves to only nonfiction ways of hashing those out. And we have a dearth of stories to hash these out. And, and I, see, I see great opportunity there. But you can't just say, oh, somebody needs to go on and make that story. You know, if there's no demand for it, then uh, why, why bother? You know, unless you're going to just keep the story to yourself. Of course, we, we focus on fans at uh, Fantastical Truth, but it is something that I've noticed uh, that our our science fiction uh, among Christian creators uh, tends to be more fantasy-based, I would say, uh, which moves us into our, our third big question, uh, which is, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of ready to answer this question, but I'm curious how either of you all would answer it. Do most Christian fantasy fans prefer, well, fantasy over edgier sci-fi? That is sci-fi that deals in you know, these questions of ideas and worldviews along with the, uh, the fun stuff like technology and space exploration. And I guess I would say that my, my answer to that question depends on, of course, how you understand sci-fi. Are we talking about softer sci-fi, yeah. which is a little bit more about the human characters and, you know, a little bit more fantastical, basically fantasy with spaceships, or are we talking about harder sci-fi, which, uh, you know, maybe doesn't deal into uh, or delve into the specifics of uh, orbital mechanics or you know, go into a very distracting uh, reveal of how the uh, space propulsion works, uh, but, but at least feels harder, you know, wants to feel more grounded. Uh, right. just, as, as I look around, like I see, I mean, even in the world, it seems that the science fiction tends to be less interested in the big ideas, uh, at least the, the popular science fiction. Uh, but among Christians, when we do get into science fiction by Christian creators, it, it seems that most of it tends to go softer. Uh, that's my answer, but I'm curious about either of yours. 
I think that's probably right. I, I don't see a lot of kind of harder sci-fi writers out there. No, I, I, I don't know if, it, if it's because it takes a little more kind of immersion in the science itself, you know, and some people that's easy for, and some people it isn't, you know, it's just not, not their calling. And you know, so that, that could be part of it. There's escapism, but sometimes the hard science fiction, it's not as much, you know, it's, it's like the Martian, you know, that's, that's escapism because he's on Mars and we can't do that, but he's also trying to solve problems in a very scientific way, you know, trying to, trying to deal with those with the same kind of technologies and solutions we might try to use here for things. So I, that may be part of it. You know, it's just, just takes a little more head scratching. Yeah. I don't know. Cause in, in reality, like you said, science fiction is very pervasive. You know, the hunger games is science fiction. There are science fiction elements in superhero movies all the time, you know? So it, I guess it really does depend on how you define it. Yeah. It seems to me that uh, the science fiction genre functions a lot more often as a seasoning. And like you mentioned, the superhero movies it is, uh, is Zack right. Snyder's justice league that we talked about before. Is that science fiction? Well, Yes, absolutely. You've got space aliens and basically Batman has a spaceship right. or at least an earth ship. You know, there's some sci-fi tech all over the place. Uh, uh, Kal-El comes from Krypton, another planet. Uh, and yet you also have you know, Lois Lane living in a very normal apartment and, you know, Martha Kent lives on a farm and, you know, it's sci-fi mixing with the absolutely contemporary. Same thing with horror. A lot of uh, stories tend to use horror as a seasoning, you know, rather than maybe as a, an exclusive genre. And among Christian fans, yeah. uh, most of our stories like tend to borrow some of these elements. Uh, but Gary, I would say that at least among people I've asked, like, hey, who who are some you know Christian authors of science fiction, creators of these types of stories? Most people will name check you, you know. And I know you're not the only huh. game in town, <laughs> uh, but it's it should be a bit of an encouragement that at least in their perception, you're on the harder end of the of the science fiction. You've got the technology huh. there, and it it, te- it seems that uh, you've got got quite a rep it's nice to hear it's definitely an honor yeah and and that just says makes that we need more folks like it like me out there you know more folks willing to like look into science because there are just so many intriguing ideas out there and i can't cover them all so much story fodder yeah that's that's cool that's that's nice to hear i guess <laughs> well it's it's true and that's how we got to be friends and, and that's that's how we're here now and i i think that this is this is still a um a territory that is open for expansion and yet one simply yeah. can't do what I see, you know, at least in the early days of Christian fantasy advocacy, people milling about on the internet saying, why aren't there more Christian authors? Why aren't there more publishers publishing this Christian publishers, the traditional right. ones have to publish what works. Otherwise they would be guilty of poor investment. If they know that they can't publish a, a Christian, you know, a thick Christian made science fiction book, and be able to get some kind of benefit from that, even financially. And if even on the spiritual level, they know this is not going to serve our readers, this is not where our readers are, then they're going to avoid that kind of story. And it's going to be up to a Christian creator like yourself to go out and publish that story on their own, uh, which you are now doing. So my question then here becomes, what can we possibly do as Christian fans who want to see more of these kinds of stories? Like, are there possibilities that we have of encouraging our, our fellow believers to give these kinds of stories a try whenever we find them as a means of engaging with these issues of engaging with our real world 
And then if demand can slowly begin to grow, you know, sort of like the terraforming approach that we've mentioned in an earlier Fantastical Truth episode, you know, if there's a more organic desire for these kinds of stories, then that would bring more of them, you know. But how right. could we possibly do that, you know, starting with an episode and a discussion like this one? So it's a good question. I, I mean, obviously, the simple things can be a big help. Just, you know, the word of mouth. Word of mouth sells books and always has and always will. And today we have a much bigger um, megaphone for word of mouth, right? Because you can share with your friends on Facebook and, and on your blogs and your podcasts and whatever. So obviously, you know, the, that's a simple thing, really, and it helps a lot. And obviously, leaving reviews for books on Amazon and Goodreads and uh, wherever else you might buy books helps a lot too. Or, you know, like having book clubs where you read your favorite Christian author and, and share about it. These all help and, and you just never know where they might go. You know, those kind of movements. Well, something I've shared about before is you have to, you have to kind of be willing to go off the beaten path a little bit. And, yeah. and you know, I, I grew up in Austin where it's all about the, you know, the indie music and the kind of obscure um, bands that, that pe people like to be the first one to learn about and, and share with others. And uh, that, that, that's carried over a little bit into to my adulthood. And so in the early 2000s, when, when Left Behind was really big, I was reading those books, but I also discovered this other series called the Christ Clone Trilogy. Oh yeah, very very similar eschatology to Left Behind, but but it took a much uh, I guess a darker approach in some ways. In that the way I mean, it's a spoiler alert, but not really. But the way that the Antichrist comes about is researchers find some living cells on the Shroud of Turin and decide to clone those cells in in basically using a surrogate mother and then that child grows up to be the antichrist and so that th that was just a really fascinating way of, of thinking how the end times could come about so, sort of through this mad science and then the, the rest of the series you know it has the judgments of revelation happen but in very uh very brutal ways at times and so it, it was man it was scary at times like there was definitely some horror seasoning in that series not very well known compared to left behind and so i've really enjoyed getting to tell people about that series it's just like here's a really different approach to this although it's still basically the same story hmm. so I, I think we have to just kind of be willing just to try out new things that maybe we're the first person to try that book and talk about it well zach you've also mentioned in a few fantastical truth episodes the existence of i think it was a duology or was it a trilogy uh, the very fact that I can't remember kind of supports my point. It was the Lamb Among the Stars series. I think it was yes. published by Tyndale House. Yeah. yeah, it was a trilogy. That's right. Uh, it was published by Tyndale House uh, a few years ago. Uh, unfortunately, it is it is not very well known, and that may be because it was, I think, straight up uh, Christian-made sci-fi with edgier themes. Uh, for one yeah. thing, the end times belief was going to be uh, wholly contradictory to the perception of many Christians. You know, this is a post-millennial series which i think even as a non-post-millennialist i think it's fantastic to ask that what if question because it is set in a world you know hundreds thousands of years from now humanity has conquered the stars before christ returns and you have effectively a kind of utopia uh the uh, the the glory of the lord has filled the universe Earth is out there somewhere, presumably the capital of this uh, very Christian empire. And then, of course, that wouldn't be very dramatic if you didn't have the reemergence of evil into this world. 
I find that approach fascinating. And yet just the very fact that it is so obscure by author Chris Wally. Yes, uh, I think he was Chris. back on uh, Speculative Faith back in the day. I wonder where he's at right now. But uh, it's, uh, it, it is a fascinating concept that I, I think did not meet a lot of readers where they were at the time. But I would hope that as we're continuing to terraform more people that we know, the word of mouth that you're talking about, Carrie, uh, I would hope that that series could find an audience because there's so many fascinating issues to explore in there. And from my memory of what I read of it, not a lot of answered questions. I mean, that's the point of these stories, to be part of the conversation, not to try to wrap everything up, you know, with a tidy bow at the end, right. uh, but, but to further the conversation. And, and how much more do we need those kinds of stories now when Christians more than ever are engaging in these controversial issues politically and otherwise, wholly in nonfiction ways and, and sometimes some unhealthy ways? I think we need these kinds of stories to give voice to these issues in fictional worlds, you know, whether or not you call the Amish, the Amish, you know, or, or Islam, you know, Islam in the future, give it other names if you want to, but even a more specific parallel asking what if about that in this, in these futuristic worlds, that I think is a very healthy and functional way to ask these questions and discuss amongst ourselves. And then maybe eventually, you know, for the glory of God, come, come up with some solutions. Like right now, if we had, I'm on a roll here, but right now, if we had, a more organic demand for these kinds of stories. And then Christian publishers and indie authors who were able and willing to meet that demand. I think we could see some really great art coming out right now with all these different themes as part of, of the story recipe stories that would ask questions about, okay, what happens if, if we do go dystopian, you know, what if this or that group ends up taking over, what would it be like for Christians or their opponents in that kind of society? Uh, what about rights? What about Christians and politics? And where are some of the ways that we need to compromise? And where are some of the ways that we don't need to compromise? You know, all of those would be fascinating concepts. And I, I wish that we would see more of those asked for by the church. Uh, as it is right now, our subculture is obsessed with beating each other up uh, about the political issues directly. Um, maybe mm. these stories could also provide a bit of a, 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 bit of a steam valve <laughs> for us to release some of this frustration as well. Thinking out loud here, but you know that's my that's my alternate universe of the of the reality that we actually see. Asking what if? It's good. I like it. I like the what ifs. Well, Stephen, I, I have a theory about that. So I I wonder if the reason Lamb Among the Stars is not as well known is because is specifically because of the eschatology that it's a post millennial point of view. Which again, I'm I'm not post millennial either, but I love that series. I, I love it despite the post millennial view, and and it's. But it's a fun exploration of that as well. But I, I have a theory that as Christians, we tend to be, well, whatever you want to call it, more, more discerning or more snobby about the theology of a Christian book than the theology of a secular book. Oh, we absolutely are more snobby that way. Yeah. Yes. And, and sometimes it's a benefit, you know, but if, if anything, shouldn't it be the reverse? Shouldn't we be a little bit more uh, suspicious and have our shields up, as it were, when we go in to watch a, a Star Trek episode, which is made by and largely for uh, secular humanists or, you know, moral agnostics. Uh, shouldn't right. we be a little bit more trusting about a Christian-made story? I mean, if anything, Tyndale House guys, like those are the left-behind guys. You know, they, they've published Randy Alcorn books. They're, they're trusted. And yet they, right. they published this series and then, I don't know, it just for some reason didn't find an audience. And maybe that's an issue of marketing and we're not going to get a marketing right now. Uh, but the covers were fabulous. The titles were awesome. Uh, and, and yet it's the one example I can think of that was like a, a hardcover, uh, serious effort at Christian-made sci-fi. Uh, 
and it, and yet it didn't seem to to find an audience. Uh, the only other examples I can think of of traditionally published Christian books were like a, some paperbacks in the in the '90s and maybe early 2000s. I can think of a few I read that seemed kind of promising. Zach, they were even going to deal with aliens. Mm. Uh, aliens. Uh, spoiler alert. <clears throat> guess who the aliens were? Go on, guess. What was the surprise, uh, stunning <laughs> plot twist about who the aliens and UFOs and strange signs actually were? Demons. Demons. <laughs> They're all demons, you guys. Watch out. Um, I do think we should watch out for demons, uh, but that doesn't mean that every story involving aliens has to right. uh, inform the gentle reader uh, that the, the uh, aliens are actually demons. Uh, watch mm. out. Be on your guard. You know, and, and then it, it's another issue of what seemed like a harder sci-fi premise kind of taking a more softer direction. Now we're in the territory of not the physical and the, uh, you know, the, the technological, uh, but the spiritual. Uh, because an alien you can shoot with a ray gun, and the ray gun would right. have certain physical properties, and you might imagine how it works and all of that and get all up into the science. Uh, but if it's just a demon, uh, then obviously from Scripture, you're not going to shoot it with the ray gun. Right. These only come out through the word and through prayer, you know, unless you get some kind of weird uh, other demon teaching from somewhere. Uh, the only way to deal with a spiritual foe is spiritual. But in science fiction, the spiritual and the physical are commingled. And I think that's a little bit closer to the real world that we live in and need to engage. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I love the alien topic. I could talk all day on that. And yes. I, I think it is definitely a topic that there needs to be more Christian writing about, more Christian fiction about. Because my goodness, what a hot topic that is right now. It's all over the mainstream news because of this um, uh, Pentagon report that's coming out in June. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, what, what are we doing as Christians? And I'm, and I'm not saying this in an accusatory way, but like, what are we as Christians doing to prepare for that? What are the conversations that we are having about, you know, possible alien visitors or just even life on other planets? How are we processing that through our understanding of Scripture? Uh, are we going to get caught flat-footed, you know, in the similar way that when Galileo discovered <laughs> other planets and moons orbiting other planets, you know, are we, are we going to have sort of a crisis of faith with a lot of people that are just like, well, I, I don't know if I can, I, I don't know how to make sense of this. So I guess I'll just, you know, just kind of put all this to the side for right now. I, I think that there, there are lots of ways that Christians can make sense of this, wh whatever all this, you know, ends up being. How can we address these other than just kind of plugging our ears and, and not wanting to talk about it? How can we address these through stories? Um, how can we make sense of just the, the fact that we live in a huge universe with, with tons and tons of planets that we're finding all the time? I think these are great topics for Christians to explore. And again, I, I don't think we have to uh, find all the answers ahead of everyone else, but I, I think that we have to be comfortable talking with people. And it's and these are fun topics, you know, it, yeah. it's, they're, yeah. they're topics that our neighbors love to talk about. So let's just talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And even amongst ourselves, we're already talking about them. We just right. don't see, well, maybe not so much the aliens, you know, but the political topics, you know, the issues of Christians in the world and what we do in a culture that's increasingly turning against us. We are talking about those things and we have trusted wise biblical voices talking about those things, but all in nonfiction ways. The fact that we aren't naturally already seeing an opening or a need for Christian-made stories to be participating in these conversations, that speaks to a, a hole in our worldview. Uh, that speaks to 
the fact that we are a little bit too bent in the direction of a didacticism, if that's the word, uh, about these topics, uh, and yet we also need to imagine our way through these topics. And this, this has evangelistic applications, but we're not just about evangelism here. If I were speaking only about Christians by and exclusively for Christians, I am okay with that. A lot of people aren't uh, because they, they think that every story needs to mainly you know, evangelize your unsaved neighbor. I think that that is a secondary application, but I'm primarily concerned with how Christians grow in the vertical direction. How are we becoming more like Jesus? How are we thinking like him even as we act in the world and share his gospel with others? That to me seems to be the primary goal, and we can't get to the secondary goal of evangelism and those conversations uh, without first pursuing that primary goal. So we're going to continue to do that uh, on Fantastical Truth as we're dealing with fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, uh, whatever flavor of science fiction you have. And it's been fantastic, fantastic uh, to have Kerry with us uh, talking about all of his stories so far, Uh, not just the uh, Perils in Plain Space series, but also the Dark Trench saga, that initial trilogy, and then the the Dark Trench shadow, which is set in the same world. We actually have the 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 latest. This is the latest one, right, Carrie? A book two, fraught. It's got robots. Yes. Pun- it's got robots punching each other. Yes, they are. Uh, yes, we, there's a little gonna, battle going on. Yeah, which you're going to see uh, as the uh, as the uh, thumbnail image for this podcast. So, Carrie, uh, we've got to know, of course, where can listeners find all of your stories? Uh, more about you. Check out those different series, and then uh, hopefully, hint hint, uh, find out what is in your creative future. Sure, my website is www.neets.com. That's N-I-E-T-Z.com. You can find all my books and all the news and kind of where you can buy the books. And, and I'm on Facebook and MeWe and some of the other sites, but yeah, the website's probably the best place to go. Yeah. It's been great being here. Well, we'll hope to have you back. Uh, maybe eventually once people develop uh, the implants, uh, we'll have to have you back to explain how yes. those work and some of the moral difficulties of that. Yes. And if anyone is uh, putting together vampires or vampirism in a spaceship, uh, you're definitely the recognized authority on that, as well as the uh, werewolf syndrome. Yes. Yeah, your, your past, past discussion there, too, reminded me that, that in Dark Trench, there actually are some aliens in there. At least I think yes. they're aliens, you know. Yeah, and, it's a little uncertain in book two. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, two and, and in three a bit, too, you know. And um, I thought, you know, that was kind of a unique way of, of looking at aliens and, and not being necessarily um, definite about, okay, what, what are these and what, you know, what are, what are their motives? What are they up to? But no, no, you can just throw up your hands afterwards and go up oh, demons again. You could, you know, you could, or maybe not, you know, <laughs> that's it. That was the neat thing about the worldview that dark trench is a part of is it actually allowed for a few more entities, you know, to enter the mix. So yeah, I thought that was kind of a fascinating way to go, go with it. And, Hopefully readers check it out. Uh, Carrie, did you also want to say what might be in your creative future or is that a, a to be announced? Um, well, I'm, I've, I also work on some straight out, flat out science fiction for a uh, gaming company called Takamo. And all the books so far have been, the main characters have been man-sized rats. They're fun, ornery creatures. And, you know, it's kind of a mix of firefly and giant alien rats. and and a little bit of Star Wars in there too. And uh, my my next story is is a bit of an alternate timeline that they're involved in. So it's kind of an alternate history with giant man-sized rats involved. So I you know can't wait for people 
see that it should be out this year at some point. And then the thing I'm working on now is sort of a straight out robotic science fiction. So we'll see, see what happens there. Every listener is thinking this, so I'll go ahead and say it and make us all happy and prove that I'm telepathic. Rodents of unusual size? I don't, don't think they, they exist. exist. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Well, Carrie, Godspeed on all your endeavors. We're definitely going to have you back and uh, very much look forward to finding out uh, what's ahead in your future and uh, sure. collaborating with you about these issues and uh, exploring with you those what-if questions in your various sci-fi universes. Great. Thanks. Great to be here again. Thanks. Well, our thanks to Carrie Neitz for joining us today. And now let's open the mailbag and hear from the fantastic fans. We've got a note here from Amy Kay, who wrote to us after listening to episode 60, Why Don't Real Researchers Heed Sci-Fi Warnings Against Mad Science? And Amy writes, quote, I really enjoyed this podcast. So needed today. Plus, entertaining, insightful, and full of wonderful references. The only ones you missed mentioning or didn't wish to that I could think of was the movie Cherry 2000 and an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Cherry 2000 is a movie about a sex bot sci-fi adventure where the main character tries to reclaim his favorite sex bot after it's recalled and finds he's actually in love with the pilot who helps them, played by Melanie Griffith. Plus the episode of Star Trek Voyager where a young Vulcan struggles with his Ponfar and tries to mate with Bolana. When she rejects him, the doctor, the holographic doctor, tries to create for him a mate in the holodeck. He fools the doctor into thinking it worked, then goes down to the planet to find Balana to complete the pond far. A very strange and interesting episode. All of that to say, it was a wonderful episode. I look forward to listening to more interesting topics and breakdowns. Fiction is the mirror, helping to reflect our nature and learn from it, end quote. Thank you so much, Amy, for that note. And th those are some great references. I am familiar with that Star Trek Voyager episode. I haven't seen that movie, though, so that, uh, that sounds very interesting as well. Next on Fantastical Truth, we have incidentally set up this theme over the last couple of episodes. Should Christians act like zombies to support their favorite stories? Support brains. And what we mean by that is that at least in the past, uh, whenever a Christian movie maker or publisher puts out a very important story, uh, Christians will get into the mood of, we need to support this story to send a message to someone, your unsaved neighbor, to other Christians, to that bad pastor in your past, uh, or maybe big Hollywood. Is this the point of fiction? And, spoiler alert, because it is not the point of fiction, how can Christian fans gently, graciously engage with this idea and maybe point ourselves and our friends in the direction of a healthier, uh, more biblical view of what stories are meant to do? Meanwhile, as you are enjoying science fiction, whether it's hard or soft or thematically edgy or other kinds of edgy, always do this for the glory of God. Uh, science fiction does help to reflect human nature in all of its evils and all of its goodnesses. Any of those requires careful discernment. And let's try to make sure that we are building demand for better stories that engage with real world issues, yet also in a creative way that will glorify our author, Jesus Christ, as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.